0: Simon and Wayne's Spiffing Review with your hosts
1: Simon Jones and Wayne Bolt. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Series Three of Spiffing Review with me, Simon Jones, and me, Wayne Bolt. We did a new greeting there; and that was unrehearsed. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was good. I That's
0: quite, quite exciting, like it. quite exciting. Yeah. yeah. So yes, we've been away for a while. Uh, we're going to call this Series 3, which is what we do when we've uh, not recorded an episode for an extended period of time. Yes. So uh, thank you for waiting, yes. and you um, can now enjoy new Spiffing Reviews. Yes, indeed. Which is just the
1: same as the old one, yes. only uh, in 2012. Yes, but that's comforting and nice. It is. So what have we got lined up in today's episode, Simon? Well, to kick off, let's take a quick look back at 2011. Uh, namely, with what was your favourite film? Or or films that came out in 2011? Uh, Yes. I think I'd have to say Attack the Block. Uh, Really?
0: Yes. Because that's what I'd say too. And that doesn't make for a very interesting podcast. But it does speak
1: (laughs) for how good the film was. Yes, indeed. It was a very excellent film. The only other film I could really think... Uh, Of from last year, because I didn't really see many films last year, was the Harry Potter uh, finale. Yeah, Is it given that you do a movie podcast, we probably should have watched more films last year. We should have done, but uh, The Real War took over, and the second half of the year became quite busy. Yes, indeed.
0: But yes, Harry Potter was good. I've seen it a second time since we reviewed it, and I found on second viewing it worked a lot better. But um, Attack the Block seemed to be head and shoulders above everything else. It's also the only film that kind of really approached some of the issues with young people, because young people were quite angry last year, mm. and films didn't really cover that very much, but Attack the Block did, and did it with aliens, and that's good content. And
1: it sort of did it a little bit before it all kicked off over here, didn't it? Yeah, yeah.
0: People yeah. should pay more attention to yeah. Joe Cornish. Yes.
1: Did Thor come out last year? Was that the year before? Yes,
0: Thor came out, and that was the first Marvel film you actually liked.
1: Oh, indeed it was. Um, I wonder if that's because it was Kenneth, Bernard, uh, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh <laughs> yes. doing the directing, so it brought a slightly different kind of a vibe to the whole uh, Marvel yeah, universe. I do get the feeling that if anybody
0: else had directed that, it probably wouldn't have worked because you needed his Shakespearean background to pull off the crazy yes. Viking god thing. Yes. Uh, so the fact that someone else is directing
1: Thor two could be a really bad thing. Yes. Yeah, so are you going to see Thor two? Um.
0: I'll probably see Thor two. Yes. yes, good. Um, Excellent. And of course, which brings us
1: neatly on to 2012. But well, was what... another film from last year then, which you can really remember. No, that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think there's quite a lot of stuff, but I just can't remember any. It obviously wasn't that good a year for no, I mean, sticking in mind blockbusters. There were some decent films, but none of
0: them really leapt into my kind of classic list, uh, except Attack the Block, which I will happily watch many more times in my life. Uh, But everything else just didn't really... You know, they're all right, but not classics. Whereas this year, I'm actually quite excited because there's a lot of stuff coming out which, all of which, kind of has the potential to become all-time favourite type films. Um, So just to list a few, uh, we have Prometheus, which is the sort of prequel to Alien, and Ridley Scott's first oh, yes. sci-fi thing since Blade Runner, yeah, uh, which could be exciting in itself because Ridley Scott's kind of up and down filmmaker, but when he's good, he's really good. Yeah, uh, and the two times he's done sci-fi have been fantastic. Uh, we have the
1: Avengers, which not are... the remake of the 1960s classic British no, science fiction, no, but maybe well, we don't know. I mean, we haven't seen the script or anything, so it could be that they kind of melded the two together. Because last time I did an Avengers remake. It was that Rafe Fiennes and Uma Thurman. Yeah, that didn't that do 80. too well. No, it was a bit of a shame because it was bollocks. Yes, yes, which does ruin a film. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit. Bollocks. Anyway, sorry.
0: Yes, uh, so Avengers uh, coming off the back of Thor, uh, well, so to speak, um, could be really good. So looking forward to that one, mainly because it's Joss Whedon, and he kind of genuinely knows what he's doing. Yeah,
1: he did Buffy, didn't he? Yes. And Firefly and Serenity and stuff. Just in case there's anyone out there who listens to our podcast who's not heard of Joss Whedon. Yeah, which is fairly unlikely. And if you are a listener who's never heard of Joss Whedon, why not drop us an email so we can maybe uh, do an in-depth Joss Whedon documentary one episode? That's a good idea. Excellent.
0: So, uh, we also have Dark Knight Rises, which is the third and final Batman. Yes. Um, And right at the end of the year, we have The Hobbit. Part yes, one.
1: indeed. Oh, I forgot
0: about that. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it, 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 it seems kind of strange that it is actually next year. It feels like it should be
1: years off still. Yeah, but uh, that will be arriving next year. I'm very glad that Peter Jackson's at the helm again. And mm-hmm. um, you know, given the fact uh, Guillermo del Toro was going to be doing it for a while, that would have been cool. But I think mean, Peter Jackson has very much made the movie Middle Earth very much
0: his. Yes, I mean it is Peter Jackson's Middle Earth, isn't it? And yeah. obviously, some people don't like that so much. But I'd rather it had the kind of continuing yes. similar style rather than suddenly going off into a different yes. different style altogether
1: so it's yet yeah, another um, British actor movie fest isn't it with, yes uh, absolutely all, all the usual faces tending to turn up like have got Martin Freeman and Ian McKellen yeah keep going others yes more yeah, Christopher yeah. Lee Christopher Lee yeah he's in it again Yeah, yeah uh,
0: Richard Armitage who's been in lots of stuff and he's cropped up very briefly in Captain America and he's playing one of the dwarves. Yeah. Um, the guy from Being
1: Human. Of which are 13 in the party. Yes,
0: quite a few dwarves. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. there would be more dwarves than that, though. Yes, and in fact, uh, we're coming to the trailer part shortly, but what I really liked was the Hobbit trailer because it was slightly different to the usual trailer in that they went with the dwarf song and used that as the backing to everything else and yes. didn't go down the Michael Bay Transformers trailer route, which yeah. they could have done.
1: It's going to be interesting to see what they do to add... Uh, to the Hobbits, make it two films worth because the Hobbit book itself is only really one mm. film's worth of, uh, uh, of storytelling. Yes. And uh, I know there's a lot of appendices and of a backstory around what was going on. I'm are going to see some of the stuff as to what happened when Gandalf disappears off in the book. Mm-hmm. I think the film's going to be following him. Sylvester McCoy, he's playing Radagast, of course. Ah, it doesn't it's... appear in the book. Okay. But Cause... did appear in the Lord of the Rings book, but not in the films. Yes, of course.
0: Uh, but didn't appear in the Lord of the Rings film. That's what I just said. Is it? Yes. Okay, um, but also it's got Benedict Cumberland, yes, playing uh, Smog, and apparently the Necromancer, which is apparently quite a minor character in the book, but they've beefed it up for the films. So what they're going to do with that, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, anything with Benedict Cumber Patch,
1: I think he's going to be the voice, isn't he? Not, not just playing the dragon. No, it, that it, it, a bit rubbishy. Face stick like a dragon costume on him.
0: No, he's just going to run around flapping his arms. Oh, great! And going "Raw." That'd be cool. Yes. Anyway, moving on to
1: our first review of the year, which is for Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Now, you may be asking, why are they reviewing Tucker and Dale vs. Evil in 2012 when it blatantly was a film that came out last year? Well, over here, it didn't really have much of a cinema release, if at all. Mm-hmm. And certainly, if it was released over here, there wasn't any promotional marketing around it. So, we finally got around to watching it on Blu-ray. It was a film I think we reviewed in the trailer park last year sometime. It might even have been further back than
0: that, because I remember seeing a trailer a long time ago, which I think is before they got distribution, and they put out this trailer to try and get some attention, uh, and it's just taken ages and ages for it to actually come out, certainly in the UK. So what's Tucker and Dale versus you all about then, Simon? Well, it's about a typical bunch of American teenagers who decide to go camping in the middle of nowhere, uh, bump into a couple of hillbillies, as I believe they're known colloquially, Uh, and having seen probably a few too many horror films, they expect the hillbillies to start doing horrible things to them, and through a series of unlikely events, bad things start happening, and they blame the hillbillies, the hillbillies are completely oblivious, don't know what's going on, and this slightly absurd situation arises, Uh, and it's kind of done in the similar style, to maybe Scream back in the 90s, and it's taking a standard horror Kind of genre, And subverting it, yes, and twisting it around a bit, and kind of showing it
1: from a completely different point of view. Uh, and I really liked it. Yeah, it was a good fun. It was a very easy to watch and enjoyable film uh, with a nice, interesting twist on the whole horror movie genre. And oh, I like the way they did actually lieges and the garden path to show you what it would be like if you were the hillbillies being in this uh, unfortunate situation you can sort of see how it was all going completely wrong yeah despite maybe- the absurdity of it it almost made sense that what was happening yes it's a very important point because sometimes absurdities in films uh, it can actually add to the whole thing yes and not just go but sometimes if tangent. it goes the wrong way it can detract yes. which we'll come to later, later. right but So yes,
0: tucker and Elvis is evil kind of went under the radar but if you haven't seen it hunt it down and watch it because it's
1: brilliant yes so uh, next we go to our favourite place in Spiffing Review Land, the trailer park. Yes, well, usually our favourite place.
0: <laughs> so this is where we pick five trailers, uh, recent trailers that have appeared on IMDb.com. Uh, we watch them and then we tell you what we think. So kicking off, we have
1: the Chewin Horse. Now, I thought this was going to be a film about the silhouettes of horses appearing in tea towels. Yes, yes, that's what I was hoping. Mm. Sadly I've, not, though. I've been waiting for that movie all my life. <laughs> yes, it's a film which is just waiting to be made. But unfortunately, it's not this one. It's uh, a black and white film. Yep. Now, not that there's anything wrong with black and white films. There's quite a lot of good films which have been done in black and white. And uh, one of the quotes which comes up describes it as a death-haunted masterpiece. Yes. Um, uh, I have no idea what the film is about, though. No, uh, but it is an
0: auteurist triumph. That was another quote that came out. Oh, that's the one you wrote down, was it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this trailer's it's... packed with um, very, very serious
1: review comments. But mm. um, very little substance <laughs> about the film. The only thing I, I can compare it to are those. Uh, it is Ingmar Bergman, isn't it? I've got the right one. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. You can't get you know, Ingmar and Ingrid getting confused. You end up in all yeah. sorts of. Just the, the, some sort of Bergman. Yes. Uh, it looks like that sort of death coming to Sweden kind of <laughs> film. Yeah. It's the only place he goes. His, his favorite holiday destination. Yes,
0: yeah. It's, it's it's essentially four or five shots with really slow Philip Glass style music playing in the background. Um, I thought the shots were really really good, but they're just four out of context shots with some music, and then it ends. And we don't know what it's about. No. But so it was quite styly. Yes, I, I actually really liked the style. I think in with the in the context of the film, it might work really nicely. In the context of the trailer, you come away going. Those were four nice shots, but with no other information. So it's kind of hard to know to be excited or not. Yeah, and it's not going to stick in your mind as a film to go and hunt out in the no, future, is because it? because you've got nothing to latch yeah. onto. So, on the Gertie scale, which if you don't know what it is by now, just watch Moon and then you'll know, I would probably give it a sad face.
1: Well, I gave it an ambivalent face, but with slightly quizzical eyebrows. Yes. Yes.
0: yes. Well, that's the thing. I mean, nothing in it was bad. There just wasn't really anything yeah. in it.
1: And this is something which we've often talked about in previous episodes, is the fact that here we're not reviewing the film, we're reviewing the trailer. And our our guilleties are indicative as to what we think of the trailer and whether we actually want to watch the film or not. And I don't really know. So, that takes us on to the next thrilling trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Broken Tower. Yes, so which we... is written and directed by James Franco. Yes, and it's the true story of a revolutionary American... Artist, yes.
0: Who I'm unfamiliar with, but it could be that he's very well known in America or in in England with people who be. are more informed than us.
1: <laughs> did Did it say actually on the trailer who, who it was? It was about uh, no, no, because we had to look it up, didn't we? we yes, had to cheat here, which seems a little bit of a weird move. Really. Yes, um, um, and to be honest, if it wasn't for the fact we were doing this podcast, I probably wouldn't have been bothered to look it up. <laughs> No. Um and it was Heart Crane for those of you who are interested in wanting to know. Yes. Yeah, so if you're about. a fan of Heart Crane, uh, you should This is for you. Yeah. This is
0: the film you're waiting for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um it was a very brief trailer. Yeah. Um I mean we complain sometimes about trailers being too long, but this one had a few nice shots again. Uh James Franco looked interesting and then suddenly it stopped before I really got any sense of anything from it. Yeah. Um again, there's nothing there was nothing particularly wrong with it. Uh, it was building up to potentially be something interesting, but it stopped before it really grabbed me.
1: Yeah, so my Gertie for that one's a sad face. I just wasn't interested in it at all. Well, I was an ambivalent face in that one, so kind of reversed mm, okay. there. Okay, third up we have The Front Line. Yes, uh, this is set in 1958 in Korea. And I've, uh, the, the tagline for this is Control the hill, control the line. Yes, and it's ma- a Korean film as well. Yes, I'm imagining the line they're talking about is the 58th parallel, I think, isn't it? Which is the line across... Korea, which separates the north from the south.
0: Yes. Um, and this looks like a, a very big, epic film about the last days of the war and uh, the people that were defending this hill and who had to carry on yeah. doing that right yeah. up until the uh, ceasefire. One,
1: one last push before the armistice. It, it looks very good. I like the scale of it. It had a, quite a fresh feel for a war film.
0: Yes. Well, I think part of that's probably because it's a conflict that's not really been put on film, certainly not that I've seen. MASH. Mm. That
1: was set in a Korean war. Okay. Any other examples? No. (laughs) I was just about to shake my head then, but realised that 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 wouldn't necessarily come across well uh, in an audio medium. Indeed.
0: Um, Um, So yes, it looked looked decent. Um, My one complaint about the trailer is that the music was trying far too hard to be epic. And the visuals were already doing that job, and the story looked interesting, so the music didn't have to go off into this massive, swelling orchestra. Uh, that just seemed like it was overplayed a little bit.
1: Yeah, but do you think that's because, it, by its nature, it it being a foreign language film, that the producers probably assume people need to have that bombastic possibly kind of um, music to, to, for the... But your average audience, not our lower listeners here who understand the intelligence yeah, behind
0: you, Yeah, very educated uh, fans of uh, tourist masterpieces <laughs> yes. that are death haunted and that kind of thing. Um, but perhaps, I mean, for the first half of the trailer, I actually thought they were going to do that thing they normally do with foreign language films, which is not have any dialogue in the trailer so that no one realises until they've paid for their ticket and they're sitting in the cinema. Um, but they did have some dialogue, so that maybe wasn't the case. But uh, yeah, yeah. I was, I the film looked good enough that it could have downplayed the drama a bit yeah. in the trailer.
1: Uh, but still, happy face for me. Yeah, happy face for me with a tin hat on it. Excellent, just for the war uh, setting. Yeah, well, it's safer that way. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, so our penultimate trailer uh, is a film called Girl in Progress. <sighs> mm. Now, if you have listened to us uh, the show before, you'll probably realise that Simon and myself aren't really into a romantic comedies uh, or b um, movies about single mothers growing up. In in America, with the troubles they go through and finding relationships and lives and blah blah blah. Yeah, is this sl- a sort of slice of life type films? Not that interested.
0: No, because um, everyone's got their own lives. Yeah, uh, which are quite interesting anyway. Yeah, hopefully. I hope your life's interesting. Yes. M- mine's quite interesting. Yeah. Anyway, interesting?
1: it's got even Menders in it, and it looks rubbish. Uh, sad face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the worst thing about it is that it takes
0: a lot of very cheesy, philosophical, well, pseudo philosophical lines about life and puts them all in the trailer. So maybe, just to give it benefit of the doubt, maybe in the film it's not as bad because it's spread out over the film and has some context. But if you put every single one of these you know, deep, really important lines into two minutes, it's going to seem really cheesy. And it did.
1: I like the way you're fighting its corner, and I'm now fully expecting you to give it an ambivalent face at the very least. Uh, no, sad face. Oh, sad what a face. shame. What a shame. <laughs> it doesn't score very well. But, you know, the movie might be fantastic. It's just not selling it in the trailer. Right, and finally... Uh, a film called Middle of Nowhere. Yes, which kind of left me in the middle of nowhere. nowhere. Uh, I don't really know what this film's about. What well, it's trying to sell. It's uh, very keen about the fact it's a Sundance Festival film, and that usually means, hmm. <laughs> Not Wayne sort of <laughs> <Yeah>. film. <laughs>
0: Is the, I can't actually remember anything about it. There were some people in it. There was a, yep. I think it might have be been a road at one point.
1: Yes, and there was some music. Um... There's no dialogue. No, no dialogue at all. I, I think maybe it would help if you had a bit of pre-knowledge about the film before looking at the trailer. Perhaps. I don't
0: know. Um, what I find interesting is that a lot of the trailers we've reviewed this week are actually quite unusual for trailers. They've tried doing different things. And in previous trailer parts, we've criticised trailers for always following the same standard yes. formulas. What
1: with the "there's a car on the road." Yeah, or the microwave. trailers,
0: you know that one. Yeah, uh, so that's these- any Michael Bay film, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, pretty much. Um, but yeah, some of these tried to do something a bit different, but it didn't quite work Not for quite. me. Um, whereas, like I say, the Hobbit trailer tried something different, and I think did it really well. Because- if only
1: that was in the Trailer Park. Yeah, I know. Uh, if only we'd been doing this a couple of weeks back when it came out. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, so that's it. That's it. The Trailer Park. So of all of those films and Simon, oh, I think I know the answer already. Which one would you like to convert the trailer into the full movie? Uh, it has to be the front line Yes, front
0: line for me too. Yeah, both the trailer and the movie it was advertising, but that was the one that I would pick. Yes. So, we shall now move on swiftly to our main movie review of the week. Mission
1: Impossible Ghost Protocol. Yes, is it not Mission Impossible 4? No, they broke away from calling it mm-hmm. MI4. It's just called Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, I believe. For a while they even wanted to drop the Mission Impossible tag really? as well. It's yeah. mm. controversial. Yeah, and it wouldn't have made much sense in the context of it being a Mission Impossible film. Anyway, before we get into all that, uh, this is a film directed by Brad Bird. Uh, this is his first live action uh, yes, film, previously. which was my
0: main interest in it.
1: Sorry, carry on. Okay, <laughs> uh, he's uh, known for doing The Incredibles, Ratatouille, and The Iron Giant, all of which are fairly classic films. Even though I've only seen one of them, uh, it was <laughs> written by Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec. Um, it was based on the TV series by Bruce Geller, of course. Uh, popular in the nineteen sixties. Although uh, perhaps to be possibly. more accurate, it's based on the previous couple of
0: films, yeah. rather than the TV now, series.
1: Interestingly, and this is a point to to bear in mind, is uh, the writers they don't seem to have a a big CV of movie writing. Oh, right. Now they, they've come from sort of TV land, and most notably, or most notably rather, uh, the US version of Life on Mars. Right, It's very important to bear in mind. I don't know if you've ever seen any of that, only the last scene. I've heard about it. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, So once you realise that, it's not really looking great. So we've got a a director who, uh, it's his first live action film. Uh, Writers who wrote the American version of Life on Mars. Um, And just bear that in mind whilst we go through what's happening next. So uh, this is the fourth instalment, as we already mentioned, in the Mission Impossible uh, franchise. This is starring Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, Paula Patton uh, as Jane Carter, Simon Pegg as Benji Dunn, and Jeremy Renner as William Brandt, who are the IMF team uh, in, this, uh, in this outing, uh, who go up against a Bond supervillain-like Michael Neugvist, playing Kurt Hendricks. So, uh, a brief synopsis of the film is that Ethan Hunt and his team race across the world in an attempt to prevent a nuclear war being started by Kurt Hendricks. Uh, who's using stolen Russian nuclear launch codes it's a fresh idea it's not been done no not at all ever before Uh, unfortunately they have to do this disavowed uh, disavowed is a very popular uh, Mission Impossible word uh, following the failure of the team to stop Hendricks in Moscow uh, blowing buildings up and stuff the President of America oh I just did a big tut then that's not going to come out very well The President of America invokes Ghost Protocol, uh, which essentially means the IMF team is disbanded and all support for them and all the resources and all the money and equipment they can get hold of are withdrawn from them.
0: Except they still have loads of equipment (laughs) and resources and it doesn't seem to really bother them at any point in the
1: film. Yes, indeed. Uh, The action takes place in Budapest, Moscow, Dubai and finishing in India uh, in a variety of uh, increasingly ridiculous scenarios and extreme IT technical support nightmares. Is that how it was officially described? No, that's how I described it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yes um, quickly jumping back to the previous MI films um, what have you thought of them in general yeah right exactly <laughs> so the first one I thought had some interesting spy stuff but was a bit of a mess second one was god awful third one I didn't bother to see uh, that's basically how it goes yeah. uh, fourth one was directed by Brad Bird so I thought oh that could be interesting because mm. he's done some good stuff and uh, it's a film that begins very well and progresses nicely, and then gets a bit overexcited. (laughs) A bit overexcited. Yes. uh, It's a strange film, because the first half is set up to be quite a gritty spy thriller, still with sort of big action but it all very much feels yeah. painful and real yeah. and like they're being they're, they're working out problems by being clever
1: with a little bit of kind of physical ingenuity yeah. and stuff. it's sort of invoking out a sort of spirit of born um, but using uh, some 1960s 70s cold war bond kind of a premise to the plot hmm. um but still the first half of the film it does sort of tick along and you can accept the fact of what it's doing and they've got um, crazy gadgets and schemes and plots to do stuff mm. I felt it, sort of it go with it
0: yeah it balances the tone really really well uh, and this is something that Brad Bird's always been really good at in his previous films um, uh, they get to Dubai and things are kind of ratcheted up several notches and
1: it still worked for me I really liked the whole Dubai skyscraper sequence yeah. um, that's something which uh, a lot of people have commented on is the skyscraper sequence in Dubai uh, this is basically climbing around uh, the outside of is it the one of the tallest
0: buildings in the world? I think it must be. Yes, yeah. um, and it is a, an incredible sequence. As I mean, it, it's rare these days for sort of big stunt work to really impress yeah. because it doesn't really feel like stunt work. It feels like effects, um, and whatever techniques they used here, it felt extremely real. Um, and yeah, it was really, really impressive. And in fact, all the way through the film, the action is really, really well done. Uh, even towards the end of the film, which we'll come to in a second, which we have some issues with, it's still really well done. But the problem is that it becomes... It, it feels this need to comp- continually one-up itself, um, which it doesn't need to do. And that kind of begins in Dubai, and then when they get to India, they really just go a bit crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, without giving too much away, um, there's... Uh, the there's a device they use in mission impossible quite a lot which is hacking into a server uh, one of which they do in Dubai uh, which is somewhere high up in in the skyscraper so they have to do some daring do to to get up to the top of it in a very very good uh, set piece sequence um, and then they almost repeat the same thing again in India Uh and you know what? We've just seen this particular yeah. uh, plot of hacking into somewhere which is stupidly inaccessible to get to a server. it's even it more to... stupidly inaccessible. Yeah. And it should be called Mission Impossible: Server Hunt. <laughs> yeah, because, it be uh, yeah, it
0: should do indeed. Yeah, it felt like at the kind of three quarter mark, the film didn't quite know where to go. It reached this brilliant crescendo, which should have been the end of the film,
1: but yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't the end, and, and then, it kept going. Must have gone. Oh, well, that worked really well just now, doing that. Let's do it again. Yeah. But make it even more crazy yeah. and have, like, crazy magnets and stuff, levitating men in server access hatches. Yeah. And what's really nice
0: about the earlier stuff in Dubai, for example, is that you've got this massive action set piece with the skyscraper where it's all big epic stuff, but it's immediately followed by a really tense, quite small, sneaky scene where they're using just their clever spy tactics to get one over on the bad guys and it's done in a very low key kind of way and it's yeah. all very slow and tense and and it's really clever it's really nice um so the film sort of gets that balance just right um for the first half of its running yeah. time uh, but then just goes a bit I off mean, the rails
1: we were discussing uh, when we came out of the film that you could almost have taken uh 20 minutes or so out of the, near the end of the film and then the final five minutes um, which we'll talk about the last the yeah. scene as well in a moment um, and sort of just glued it together and if he made the film about 20 minutes shorter yeah. I think it would have been actually a much more acceptable film but uh, I did get to a point whilst watching it of thinking what is going on here um, some notable points I made about it is um, as much as a fan of Simon Pegg uh, as I am yeah. and we uh, I mean, feel in, bad saying this as yeah. well we should, we in, should state this in, in the stuff he's done um, oh, love space. We love Shaun of the Dead, Hot, Hot fuzz. fuzz, even stuff like Paul. Yeah, which is um, really well. That's really good. I mean, even stuff like Paul. Well, well yeah. that's his non Wright stuff. Yes, um,
0: stuff with Edgar Wright is yep. is classic. Oh, yeah. Essentially, Run
1: Fat Boy Run. He was all right in that. It was yes. as good as so that was worth watching. And also, um,
0: he has shown range in those roles as well. Yeah, um, he's not always playing
1: Tim from Space. Yeah. Um, however yes. the impression we get from this uh from, from Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is that I think uh Brad Bird must have just said to uh, to Simon Pegg uh for when you know when he asked oh, what's my motivation in this scene I think Brad Bird must have said I'll oh, just do what Simon Pegg would do yeah but the thing is is it Brad Bird or is it JJ Abrams because JJ Abrams put him in Mission Impossible 3
0: <clears throat> then you put him in Star Trek, and now obviously he's back in well, Mission Impossible Well, surely call. it's
1: got to be with director. That's what they do,
0: they direct. If, if the character is established in 3, uh, because in Star Trek it's the same problem. Yeah. He's not playing Scotty, he's
1: playing Simon Pig with a funny accent. Yeah, but you get away with it in Star Trek because he's not in it that much. Yes. Uh, yeah. And you don't really notice it so much, whereas, uh, as we're saying... Uh, I think a lot of the reason why there was so much emphasis on server hunting and uh, having people get to servers and doing stuff like that is because it gives the Simon peg character something to do. And when he's got third billing, I think it would be, and they're trying to include him in stuff, they've basically created a field agent out of an IT support nerd, <laughs> which in itself is ridiculous. Yes. Uh, and they're just trying to get him to do stuff, and that then dictates the set pieces as to what they can do because they can't go, oh, let's go and storm this uh, military base with all our hardware. Because he's not going to do it. And then you've got one of your main people out. Yeah, and so,
0: all the way through it, I was, I was sitting there thinking, why is Simon Pegg in this? Yeah. Because you get the feeling Tom Cruise or Jeremy go turn around at any point and go, what's he doing here? Yeah, he's... <laughs> Who let him on the team? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love Simon Pegg, he's brilliant. But, like you say, the director or the writers or whoever it is, they should stop trying to make him be Simon Pegg and just let him act.
1: Yeah. As you so. Give him a, a character to do. But I don't know, maybe... Um, I, I'd put that... Uh, his, no, it's not dominance in the film, but the amount of screen time he gets. I think directs too much of what goes on, and that's why it doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. And the the comedy in it, which they were trying to hit, it's does bit awkward. Yeah, it's awkward. It doesn't really work, and it sort of breaks up the tension that's being built. Mm. I
0: think um, this is the other problem I have with how Simon Pig is being used in non-eggarite films or non-comedy films. He's becoming the comedy relief character, and this is something I absolutely hated in the nineties. Because every sci fi fantasy action movie had to have the comedy relief character who was kind of there for the audience who didn't want to go see their, the film, but they'd been dragged there by the girlfriend, straight boyfriend, whatever. Mm. Um, and the comedy relief character was there to kind of wink at them. Yeah. Um, and back in the 90s, uh, it was played by the guy that did Juice Bigelow, uh, whatever his name was, uh, who seemed to be in everything playing the, the comedy character. Yeah.
1: Um, Adam Sandler, was it? No, no, no it was one of isn't it? Adam
0: Sandler, but it was the other mm. one. But uh, you know who we mean. Mm. He was in Judge Dredd as well, and he was one of the things that really ruined that film, although there was several <laughs> other things. Um, but yeah, I don't want to see Simon Pegg become that kind of actor who no. just
1: shows up and does comedy well, Simon that, Pegg that, stuff. That stock, uh, we need a geek comedy relief here, let's, yes, let's yeah. get Simon because Pegg. Because as
0: you say, um, regardless of the actor, it undermines the tension and the action of the film because it doesn't fit into yeah. it. On the plus side... Um, the other new characters I thought were quite good, and I really liked Jer- Jeremy Renner's character. I thought his backstory to do with, well, I won't say what it's to do with, because it's quite a little bit of a twist. Uh, but that was really nicely done, um, and was quite interesting, and yep. it was handled nicely. Um, so from the other characters' point of view, they were, they were quite interesting. But a lot of that is completely undone by the very final scene in the film. Yep. Uh, this is something that we sort of mentioned earlier, which is that even when the action goes ridiculously over the top, and it's just stupid, it's still really well done. Uh, in terms of the filmmaking and stuff. It's it's still uh, high-quality stuff. But then there's this weird final scene at the very end of the film, which is it's just atrocious. It makes absolutely no sense. For someone like Brad Bird, who is always so good with story and character and that kind of thing, and pacing, and there's this odd scene at the end where basically they all get together, have a little joke, and go, oh, we only did it because we did it as a team. Yeah, and blah, it's, blah, blah. It's like the end of He-Man or... Transformers Yeah, where the they 80s. have to put
1: that um, message in uh, yes. just to appease some network or something. Yeah,
0: even though the whole rest of the film was about that, we understood that, mm-hmm. it was obvious, it was quite nicely done in the rest of the film, you didn't have to have a scene where they look at the camera and go, hey kids, this is what this has been about.
1: Yeah. I think uh, that may be, uh, it's only thing I, uh, I can imagine, is in the TV series, uh, Mission Impossible always sort of tend to be set up in a-, a number of acts and it would, divvy it up that way and sort of have like a a, a sort of comedy get together well not comedy but like a sort of epilogue kind of thing at the end Mm -hmm. but not so comedy wise it's been a long time since I saw Mission Impossible maybe I'm just hoping that's why they did it (laughs) and it wasn't just some interfering producer somewhere going oh what this really needs is is some schmaltzy twaddle just to really finish the film off
0: I mean you can almost see how it was intended to work because it it was such a tense film all the way through it was quite nice to have a kind of release at the end where you can yeah. relax and go, oh, we did it. So in theory it might have worked, but the dialogue and the way it's played is, is so cringeworthy. Yeah. Uh, it's just really strange.
1: Yeah. Other really weird things with it, I found, was I know we were talking earlier on about the Dubai sequence being really good. Well, it mostly is. The skyscraper stuff in the Party sequence is really good. There's a scene which looks like it's come straight out the mummy <laughs> with one of the most pathetic-looking sandstorms uh, I've seen on film, Where uh, watching it and just waiting for um, skeletal monsters to sort of come wandering out. Of <laughs> yeah, it, or just well. a big face. But, yeah, which I wouldn't have been surprised if it happened with the way it was going at the time. Um and then there was a crazy car chase sequence through a lot of the sandstorm where you couldn't really see much of what was going on. So that was maybe quite a good way of keeping the effects budget down. <laughs> <laughs> that's why doing it, so you can't see. Um, now a couple of little things. I, 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 We'd quite like to have seen a bit more of Josh Holloway. Uh, he played Sawyer in Lost. He had a small yes. cameo at the start of the yes, film. Yes, that was quite nicely done, Yeah. That yeah. Um, I thought he was, He would have actually been quite a good agent. Yes. Um, but doesn't yes. appear uh, throughout all the film. And I think mean, that was... I was almost set up to be actually quite a good person to have in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he he dies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, quite early, so that's not really a spoiler. spoiler. But (laughs) but it's quite
0: nicely done because that, again, sets up the kind of gritty feel of the thing, which then undermines towards the end by going really silly and kind of... It's it's like Moonraker, James Bond-style silly. Yeah. Just just completely ridiculous. (laughs) Which, you know, if the whole film was like that, It probably wouldn't have mattered so much if it had started with a completely ridiculous action sequence. We wouldn't mind, but because the first half's quite down to earth, um, and then it just
1: goes mental at the end. The film starts with a a, quite a good prison break sequence, Mm -hmm. um, just stylish, funny, kind of setting up the use of technology and stuff, and where they can hack into things and whatever. And it works really well. It's a shame it didn't carry on like that. Right? Yeah. So and also another another thing I have is my last point about it. Okay. Is this is just like um something about bad guys who have servers in general, is they put these servers right in these incredibly hard to reach complex rooms. Which for a start, if it goes wrong, I need to get an IT technician there. They're not going to want to like uh, upsell down crazy air vents or anything. There surely there's easier ways to get to it. And also, if they got this complex security on it all. Why don't they do simple things like um, uh, disable USB ports yep. on, on a servers? That would make sense. <laughs> yeah, you, you can do that sort of thing with Active Directory and that sort of stuff. Um, operating systems are available as well. But it's, it just annoys me. If, I, if I, only I, can, you... I work in an IT... Yeah, so uh, if only you'd been the IT
0: <laughs> advisor on the film. It yeah. would be so much
1: better. Yeah. yeah. They'd plug their USB stick in, but... Uh, someone said with a USB port so their wonderful hacking software is not going to work yeah. oh dear mm-hmm. well done IT security consultant but no I mean they must go to some crazy IT security consultant and go well what you need here is a volcano <laughs> that's where you put servers <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably in Iceland because then you can use the geothermic heat uh, to run the generators yeah and, and the ice to cool it down to cool it down yeah. yeah but obviously if you take
0: one of them out it then explodes massively yeah so yeah, this is the kind of plotting that Mission Impossible <laughs> Four does towards the end. So I wouldn't, in no way, is it a bad film. It's a film that gets overexcited and just kind of gets, uh, makes I mean, a mess. It, on the it loses
1: it at the end. It becomes ridiculous, and I, unfortunately, all the good work that's done in the first third to half of the film. Cause it doesn't I, matter how good a film it is if the
0: ending is ballsed up. Yeah, which it is. So I'd probably say go to see it for the great action that is in it because it is the best action I've seen for years but if you well basically once the sandstorm hits leave the cinema and you'll leave it with fond memories yeah.
1: and you can maybe come in 20 minutes later uh, and then catch the end of <laughs> the, the second end. sequence yes um, just for some like uh, well cl- just, just as a closure, closure really, really, yes. but yeah. then walk out again very quickly <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> before the final scene <laughs> Uh, and then you can come back in for the credits if you want, because there's some good music. Yeah. Uh, and then
1: you can leave the cinema. Yeah. So would you recommend people go sit at the cinema at whatever it's costing an like £8 a ticket, unless you go on Orange Wednesdays, uh, where you get two for one? Because I'd have been slightly perturbed if I paid the full price to see that at the cinema. Yes, uh, I think that's cinema's big problem at the moment, which is it's, it's ridiculously
0: priced. But I would say that it, if you want to see the film, it's worth seeing at the cinema because the spectacle is staggering and uh, when the, the skyscraper sequence is worth seeing hmm. on a big screen. But, um, yes, whether cinema is worth the prices it's charging at the moment is a whole other question, which maybe we should cover in a future episode as a a special report. Yes,
1: maybe we could do, yes. Oh, you know, we've talked about this film uh, so much. We haven't even mentioned Tom Cruise. And and what does that say about it if he hasn't even um, been mentioned in in the whole review? I mean, he's not particularly bad, doesn't dial in a bad performance, but not particularly memorable. No, no. Um, And I think the problem is that
0: it's, it's a lot of the other absurdist elements that stick out. So although there's lots of good stuff
1: in the film, you remember all the daft yeah. bits that pulled you out of it. Mm. Um, I, I was doing a bit of uh, investigating on IMDb about this, and there are definitely two camps uh, of people who follow this film. There's the ones I think are in our, it's an absurd film, it gets crazy, what is going on, there's too many plot holes and stuff camp. And there's the, we love it, it's brilliant, it's the best film ever camp. It's obviously quite divisive as to what Mm -hmm. it's doing. So, yeah, I'd say if you want this sort of nuclear danger, uh, end-of-the-world kind of film, watch one of the 60s (laughs) Bonds. Yes, yes. Mission Impossible 4 is a frustrating film because it's
0: yet another one that is a couple of script changes away from being really, really good. Um, But unfortunately, those changes didn't happen. Yeah. So, um, that's it. That's
1: what we thought of Mission Impossible 4. Ghost Protocol. Indeed.
0: So, thank you for listening to this episode. We will be back hopefully soon, but we're not going to make any promises. Um, Maybe Series 4 next year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See you then. Okay. Uh, but yes, uh, great films coming out this year, so we're going to do our best to review as many of them as possible. Yep. Yeah.
1: Details I had to contact the show. will follow on the pre-recorded message yes. after this. Beginning so. now. No, we've got to say bye first. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So... So after we say bye, you'll hear me again. Yeah. Until then, it's goodbye! Goodbye! If you'd like to contact us, you can email Simon and Wayne at spiffingreview.com, follow us on Twitter at spiffingreview, or visit our website at spiffingreview.com. Spiffing Review is an It's a Trap production.